I founded the BeWell Collective, a not-for-profit organization that aims to bring nutritional education and mental health support to the fashion and creative industries. I believe the topics we discuss throughout our series are relevant to whatever industry that you work in or any issues that you might be facing. Because as a collective, together, we are stronger. Welcome to the second episode in series two. Now, this is the follow-on from last week where we had a fantastic conversation around soy and dairy. However, the conversation followed about further myths that we both felt were really prevalent and we wanted to bust for you. So in this episode, we're going to bring you the rest of the conversation that Izzy and I had. Science is full of people who disagree with one another. If we all thought exactly the same way, we could retire and call the status quo truth. But when theories have no scientific evidence or backing behind them, and when people start to fear food which has no scientific evidence, we have to challenge that. Can you believe that cow urine, bleach and cocaine have all been recommended as COVID-19 cures? And there's been countless unregulated options and opinions about how to boost your immune system. I'm so pleased to follow on this conversation with Dr. Izzy Smith, all the way from Australia. Izzy is a medical doctor working in Sydney, Australia, and is specialising in general internal medicine and endocrinology, aka the study of hormone health. Izzy is passionate about disease prevention and management through both lifestyle measures and mainstream modern medicine. Therefore, I'm so pleased to carry on this conversation where we touch upon the contraceptive pill, is it harmful for your fertility, does it cause weight gain, the rise of celery juice that still seems to be appearing in 2020, the alkaline diet and many more pseudoscience topics and conversations we have within this episode. This leads really nicely onto um, fluoride because I had realized that actually, and even just speaking to you earlier, actually, before our podcast started, but you know, fluoride for me hasn't really been on the forefront of my mind about, you know, if there's detrimental effects. But I do remember when I was living in New York in my early 20s and I was modeling. And a lot of the girls are really worried about buying toothpaste that had fluoride in it. Um, And I do remember acknowledging it, but not really looking much more into it. Just thinking, well, okay, well, everyone has their views and that's fine. Um, But to be fair, I was around people that had very restrictive views about food at that time. So I think I was just becoming quite normalized to everyone having such opinionated um, views on on health. And, And fluoride was one of them. But and then I was looking kind of um, recently, and and you've spoken about it a lot, but fluoride is naturally occurring mineral, and it's found in water and some foods. Um, and actually, a really interesting factor in the UK, areas in the Midlands, so Izzy, that's North England, um, had fluoride of water since the early 1960s. And that was because it really helped with tooth decay. 
So today in the UK, 5.8 million people in England receive fluoridated water. However, there seems to be a lot of um, a lot of anecdotal opinions, and maybe there's some evidence. I'm not sure, um, which is why I want to ask you. But that seems to be linked to brain damage, and it's because fluoride has a chemical in it known as neurotoxin, which is, you know, it's been spoken about to damage the brain. Is this true? Is there any evidence? And should we be worried about consuming? water that has fluoride in or buying toothpaste that has fluoride in what's the what should we be doing regarding fluoride yep first i think it's important to you know think about why we put fluoride in our water in the first place and this was in a you know like you said about the 1950s and 60s and it was to decrease tooth decay and you know fluoride fluoridization of water has been known as one of the most you know successful public health interventions you know up there with you know iodized salt um, you know, for decreasing tooth decay and, you know, results in about 25% less tooth decay. Um, and, you know, tooth decay might sound quite simple, but, you know, we know that um, dental hygiene is, you know, associated with some types of heart disease. We've also got observational data showing, you know, tooth bad teeth health is associated with increased rates of dementia. And we're thinking that's because, you know, this chronic inflammation and infection in people's mouth. And we know chronic inflammation infection, you know, isn't good for us and, you know, increases risk of tissue and other um, risk of damage in other tissues. Also for children, it's particularly important because, you know, developmentally, you know, you have a child that, you know, can't eat properly and, you know, their speech is being impacted, you know, from rotting teeth. Mm. Also, you know, the social implications, uh, you know, so, you know, having dental, poor dental hygiene for children is associated with, you know, developmental issues. Um, also, it's a very big, you know, um, I would say marker of socioeconomic status is, you know, yes. dental hygiene. Because I don't know what it's like in the UK, but essentially in Australia, you can, you know, going to the dentist always costs money. So it is a, you know, a marker of, um, you know, a divide socioeconomically. And I think that's, you know, so that's, you know, another reason why it's been such a great public health intervention because, you know, you can reach so many people. Mm-hmm. So one, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, um, teeth infection and decay has side effects, as, you know, socially and physically for our health, but, you know, especially for children. Um, and, you know, it's had, you know, fluoridization has had a great result. The concern has come because, you know, as you said, fluoride has a mineral in it that can be a neurotoxin. Um, and that is, you know, definitely true. However, it's important to recognize that, you know, water if we drink enough of it can also be a neurotoxin and you know i've actually had patients in the icu where they've literally thought they had to drink eight to ten liters of water a day to be healthy wow uh yeah and their salt levels become so low and they you know the nerves in their brain start you know breaking down something called demyelinating but anyway so um a concept that i really love explaining is that it's the dose of the chemical not the type of chemical that makes something a poison you know, if we look at eating apples, they have, you know, apple seeds. Is it they've got, I think, is it cyanide in them? Yeah. And, you know, mm. cyanide is a poison. You know, we hear about people love, you know, anti-vax movement often talks about the dangers of vaccine because it has formaldehyde in it. And, you know, formaldehyde is also, you know, toxic. But there's more formaldehyde in a pear than there is in a vaccine. So, you know, it sounds really scary saying, you know, fluoride has a neurotoxin in it, but the levels are so, so low that it doesn't cause that neurotoxic effect. 
um, and it's, you know, but still high enough to improve people's dental hygiene. The other concern was, and it's quite interesting that they did this study, recently there was a Canadian study that looked at the amount of, you know, fluoride in women's, um, in pregnant women, mm-hmm. um, and if this had an impact on the IQ of their children. So quite interestingly with this study, it showed that it was only a small study. There was about 500 pregnant women. And then it looked at the children's IQ when they were three to four years of age. Um, and it was looking at the amount of metabolites of the fluoride in women's urine. That's how they tested it. And it showed that the boys, not the girls, but the boys who had non, had fluoride, whose mothers, you know, drank fluoride or had high levels of fluoride in their urine had a slightly lower IQ. I think it was about five points, five IQ points. So, you know, this caused a big stir. But then when you looked at the study and looked at, you know, it's quite strange, like I said, it's quite strange that they did it because we've got other studies that have, you know, taken thousands and thousands of people that have, you know, been exposed to fluoride and thousands of people that haven't been exposed to fluoride and they actually have the same IQ. Wow. Um, does that, yeah, so it's, you know, it was thought a bit strange that they did this study. They also, you know, were wondering about, you know, even though it was statistically significant, you know, a few hundred people, is this really relevant? Mm-hmm. Also, you know, they weren't actually looking at levels of fluoride in the children themselves. They were looking at, you know, urinary metabolites in the pregnant mothers. And, you know, we don't even, it's hard to know what the actual levels of, you know, the fluoride were in the children or in the mothers. So, you know, there was a lot of flaws in the study. You know, there was lots of, you know, it was quite in the medical world there was quite a lot of surprise that it was published it was published in a very good journal called JAMA Mm -hmm. um and you know and I think it did raise you know this is quite interesting however you know we have 60 years of people having fluoride and you know observation you know studies that have shown you know children from fluoride that have had fluoride have the same IQ as people that don't and this is you know this I guess this talks about you know cherry picking yes you know you have decades and decades of studies that have shown you know, no side effects and then quite a small study with quite a lot of, you know, methodol you know, issues with methodology has shown a positive result. And now, you know, that's, you know, making people probably have a very unnecessary fear of fluoride. And that's, you know, the media plays a big role in this and, you know, conspiracist theories. Like I said, there's a guy here in Australia called Pete Evans who it's anyway, it's so funny these conspiracy theories. I think some people you know, they talk about how they have, you know, freedom of, you know, their free thinking and, you know, freedom of speech. But I'm like, you literally just latch onto every single conspiracy theory that, you know, you're shown. There's nothing free speech about that. That's just being a sheep and, you know, being anti-government and anti-corporation just for the sake of it. Yeah. But I'll try not to rant about Pete Evans too much. <laughs> but essentially, yeah, that's where the fluoride concerns has come from. Um, and it's funny, you know, toothpaste and other, you know, products, you know, with low fluoride, you know, how much toothpaste are people really consuming? Yes. You know, a teensy little bit of like fluoride toothpaste. It's like the same with, so I'm going off on a tangent, but like I am, because I said I work as a personal trainer and I worked at a health retreat a while ago. And this woman was telling me about how she couldn't believe that, you know, she'd used to be eating normal salt and now she eats the pink Himalayan salt because it has so many minerals and, you know, benefits in it. And I was like, lady, how much bloody salt are you eating? Because, like, if you're getting your nutrients from this Himalayan salt, 
I'm really worried about what your blood pressure is and what your kidneys are doing because you have mm-hmm. to eat so much of the salt to really have you know a tangible impact from those you know that's those nutrients. Yeah, do you know what this is? This is this actually brings me so nicely onto celery juice. <laughs> oh my goodness! I feel like oh. yeah, everyone's trying to consume too much of one. Th- I mean, salt's quite worrying. If you're consuming a lot of salt and that's where your nutrients are coming from, you do need to be worried. For absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah. But, you know, it's the same this thing with celery juice. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the medical medium, who's this oh, guy. Of course I have. I feel like everyone in the world has heard of the medical medium. Um, oh, my God. I know, like, we've got our major medical journal. Actually, no, I think it was an American journal. And I was looking at it a while ago, and I was like, this is the problem with the world. The medical medium has 2 million followers. And, you know, it was Cochrane Reviews. That's what it and Cochrane Reviews has 2,000 followers. <laughs> and do you like, want to explain oh what the Cochrane Review is? Just to everyone who's listening, who might not be aware of what the Cochrane Review is. Yeah. So Cochrane Reviews, um, it's, you know, they do meta-analysis of all the evidence. And, you know, a Cochrane Review is what I would say, you know, pretty much the highest, um, you know, best evidence that you can trust in terms of, you know, medical research. You know, in terms of we looked at a pyramid way down the bottom is, you know, anecdotes. So that's, you know, people's personal experiences. That's then the medical medium. To... Yes, that's the <laughs> medical medium. And then you have, you know, case reports and then you might have, you know, um, kind of case, you know, observational studies. Then higher above that is randomised control studies. So let me just explain. So an observational study is essentially where you're observing a group of people and an outcome. And that's what most nutritional studies are. You know, you might be following, you know, people from one region of Italy for 20 years and you see, you know, what their health outcomes at the, you know, at the end of the 20 years, mm-hmm. but you're not comparing them to anyone else. Then, and, you know, an observational study can prove association, but it can't prove causation. Mm-hmm. Above that is what's called a randomised controlled trial, and that's where you've got two groups of people. One are giving an intervention. So, you know, we do these in drug trials a lot. One's given an intervention, you know, might be a tablet to lower someone's blood pressure. The other group is given a placebo or, you know, some other similar treatment. And, you know, you're looking at the results. And, you know, obs- and randomized controlled trials should be able to prove causation. Mm-hmm. And then above that is when we do, you know, meta-analysis and reviews where we look at all the literature in a whole. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before I talked about, you know, that fluoride study, you know, we have so many studies showing it's safe. And, you know, we have one study that, you know, thinks there might be a link to, you know, IQ of children. A Cochrane review would be, you know, let's look at all of the literature as a whole um, and to help us, you know, come as close to the truth as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think this is what's really important when we look at evidence. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if the Cochrane review would ever publish a meta-analysis <laughs> on celery juice. Celery juice. However, oh you know, it does seem to be a huge craze. And I think I see a lot of these fads because I have a lot of people coming into clinic, you know, on celery juices. I have a lot of friends um, that call me constantly being like, so what's the deal with celery juice? Um, and I remember going, well, let me look at who this medical medium me- medical medium guy is, um, the originator of the celery juice movement, and his mm. name is Anthony William. Um, and I actually wanted to look at his website, and I know he states on his website that since the age of four, he has been given a gift to read people's conditions and tell them how to recover from this health. So that's really all he's got to go on um 
And so that worried me. I was thinking, has he got any medical He's got background? that and a lot of cele- <laughs> He's got that and a lot of celebrity endorsements. Exactly. <laughs> and I think, mm. you know, yes, okay, if you want to have a lot of celery juice, great. Have some celery juice. It will hydrate you. It's like water. You know, it's it's not going to essentially do you any harm from what I can tell, um, but it's not going to be a cure. And I think this is where the worry um, comes in for me is that a lot of people worry because I actually read about, you know, I said, why do you, why do you want celery juice? And it's been tipped to like cure digestive issues, immune disorders. One of the bloody Kardashians put on her story, millions of followers, that celery juice has been shown to decrease rates of cancer. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's like. You see the Chinese whispers, and this is, you know, where this food is medicine rhetoric, you know, if we think, hi, what's the harm in people believing, you know, celery juice might, you know, fix up their acne or their, you know, psoriasis. Mm -hmm. But it's that when we start believing that food has, you know, inherent medicinal properties, you know, it might seem okay if it's acne, but then if we're talking about, you know, autoimmune conditions or cancer, Mm -hmm. and, you know, my, actually, I've lost my dad and my uncle to cancer. And, you know, I saw all of our well-meaning family and friends say, you know, have you tried X? Have you tried, you know, X, Y, Z? And that really opened my eyes to the dangers of, you know, stuff like the medical medium. And I just think it's just a worry because when people are vulnerable, um, you know, they will try and source any way that they can improve their health. And I think the responsibility that we have as health professionals is to try and engage the public in saying, this is not a cure. This is not going to cure your cancer. There is no evidence here. Um, it's not saying that you shouldn't have a celery yeah. juice if you want one. Like you might ha- want to have, you know, a nice smoothie in the morning. However, it's not going to cure everything that it's stating. And I think it'd be really yeah. nice to hear from you as a doctor about, you know, the, the importance of of why it's not going to cure. Why yeah. celery juice is not going to cure cancer. And, you know, and this is when it can be really hard as a doctor because people, you know, and I actually was training to be an oncology doctor before doing endocrinology, um, but the psychological impact of, you know, people dying and not being able to cure people was too much for me. And, you know, I would have people come to me, you know, with articles or text messages from friends, and it was absolutely heartbreaking to have to tell these people that, you know, this isn't going to help you. It's, you know, it's just celery juice or, you know, coffee enema or mm. all these other things. And I think that's why, you know, pseudoscience, it's lovely to believe and I can see why it is so attractive. It's, you know, it's like believing in fairies or, you know, other kind of miracles. Like I wish it was true. I wish, you know, celery juice did decrease rates of cancer. That would be great. But, you know, there's these things that just have no scientific plausibility. Yeah. And, I think, you know, when we talk about things that don't have evidence, I like, I, I think I came up with it. I don't think I wrote from someone else. Is that, you know, not everything that is true needs evidence, but to say it is true, you do need evidence. So, yeah. you know, there's some things that, you know, like, for example, you know, magnesium in for muscle cramps, you know, the evidence for that's not very good, but I still recommend it for my patients. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, but I can't, you know, hand in my heart say this will decrease your cramps. Um, and, you know, as doctors, I don't want to be this closed-minded person that says, you know, no, there's no evidence, can't be true. You know, there hasn't been a Cochrane review on this topic. Yeah. However, I do need to have scientific plausibility, okay? So, you know, even if the evidence for magnesium and muscle cramps isn't good, I do have a scientific, plausi- you know, plausible mechanism of why it would be. Mm-hmm. If you look at something like celery juice, so when I say scientific plausibility, you know, 
I need to think about, well, you know, what the compound is, how it's acting on, you know, a cellular level, you know, what type of, you know, extra intracellular messages that would, you know, result in. Um, and, you know, so even if the evidence isn't strong, I might go, you know, there is scientific plausibility. A lot of people saying they have benefits, you know, maybe there's a bit of, you know, truth in this. However, then there's something like celery juice that just has absolutely no scientific plausibility. Mm. And like for as a doctor, and I'm sure you've read some of the medical medium, like, you know, quotes, it's almost laughable reading how he explains celery juice. It's like he's just grabbed this bunch of different scientific words and put as many of them into one sentence that he can fit to try and make himself sound, you know, legitimate and, you know, which is funny because he doesn't claim to be, you know, have any medical background. He says it's all from a psychic. But he puts all this thing about, you know, psoriasis is caused by this virus and celery juice will help with this virus. It's just ridiculous. Um, And, you know, looking at, and, you know, you say that there's no, even though, you know, there isn't really much harm in, you know, drinking celery juice, but it is important, you know, I have patients on warfarin, which is a blood thinner. Yes. And that can be impacted by, you know, the foods people eat. I had a patient who came in with their INR totally off because, you know, their daughter, well-meaning, had got them into drinking celery juice every morning. Mm. Um, and, you know, also for people with, you know, FODMAP or certain gut problems and, yes. you know, there's actually quite a lot of sodium in celery as well. It's like it's so funny, like the medical medium claimed, you know, when people have criticised, you know, the sodium content in celery juice, he's like, oh, no, it's a different type of sodium. It doesn't increase people's blood pressure. And just like sodium is sodium. Like this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and I think he's just such a great example of, the impact of celebrity endorsements. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I completely agree with like, you. I'm sure you've heard of the alkaline diet. Um, oh my goodness, that was one topic that we did want to discuss. We just, I, I, this is the problem. I want to discuss so many pseudoscience topics with you, and I couldn't put them all many. into a podcast. But yeah, the alkaline diet is just you know, one that's horrific. And you know, and like it's hard because you know Miranda Kerr is an Australian, and I want to be patriotic. But oh my goodness, she has you know promoted a lot of absolute rubbish and you know the alkaline diet is a classic example of that celery juice and you know the alkaline diet has resulted in people dying you know yeah, we do you want to touch upon that quickly i think the alkaline i think we should yeah so the alkaline diet it was you know an idea that came up from putting cancer cells in petri dish in an alkaline environment they died versus in an acidic environment you know supposedly they grew better um one it's important to recognize we're not cells in a petri dish where you know complex you know biological organ you know organisms the second is we can't change the ph of our body um you know when we eat food it is metabolized to you know either an alkaline or more acidic compound but our kidneys and our lungs work together to keep us at a very narrow ph of 7.3 to 7.45 um and our food isn't you know we can't alter that with food and you know we only develop you know an acidosis if we have the you know kidney problems or you know poorly controlled diabetes um type 1 diabetes and you know an alkaline you know that's also a concerning you know if my patients are quite alkaline you know that's worrying because our cells they only operate at that narrow ph and if we become too alkaline or too acidic you know we run into lots of problems so you know the scientific you know it was this diet that supposedly alkalized your system and you know now we have all these you know instagram models drinking a green smoothie saying you know my alkalizing smoothie in the morning. Like one, it's rubbish and not alkalizing your system. But two, it came up with, you know, there was all these people promoting that it would cure cancer. And, you know, really tragically, the guy who, you know, 
invented, you know, wrote the book, who was later found out, you know, that his PhD was false. Yes. All of the, you know, research and evidence that he cited in his book was false. He had a big ranch in the US and he would convince people to ditch their, you know, traditional cancer treatment mm. and, you know, travel over there. And, you know, people died, you know, far from home, far from loved ones after spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, you know, mm-hmm. it was a real tragedy. And, you know, celebrities like Gwyneth Paltrow, Miranda Kerr, you know, I think have a lot to answer for that they promote things that, you know, they just don't have any experience in. And I think sometimes celebrities get a bit of a, you know, godlike, you know, godlike persona and, you know, think that their, you know, beliefs and behaviours are so important. Um, And, you know, they are just normal people and they don't have those qualifications. And, you know, I'm sure it's well-meaning. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it has ended up in some very tragic outcomes. I think that's the thing. I remember, I think that man's now in prison, actually. Um, I think he actually ended up going to jail over it. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people died from 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 going to his ranch. And, you know, something that's really important there is, yes, that we are meant to have that, well, I want to say specific, it's a very small, narrow range of what we're meant to have and if, of our pH and our body, but also, you know, our stomach acid um is is like 1.5 to 3 ph so it's not you know it's all different areas of our body have different ranges of of ph balance and i think that's what people don't always realize they see this magical number and think that's what everything's meant to be well exactly we have different compartments in our body you know parts of our gut are more alkaline our stomach is very acidic yes um and i just love so much you know when i see someone you know talk about their alkaline water they're drinking I'm like you're just slightly adjusting the pH in your stomach acid yes <laughs> exactly and, yeah and the other thing what was I going to say about um what's I going to mention about you know the different areas of your body I've had a mind blank I can't remember it'll come back to me um but Yes. Sorry, keep going. No, I'm going to keep... So I've just seen... So I want to really quickly, before we wrap up, just talk about oral contraceptives because I know that that's yes, something great that... Topic. is a really good topic. It's really important, but I know that we're running out of time a bit. But the thing is, breast cancer, and we spoke about this a lot, even in the links with soy and with dairy, it's kind of... It's been quite topical. Um, but it is a very common cancer, one of the most common, and it affects 1.4 million uh, people worldwide are diagnosed with that every year. Um and linked to that, there's 140 million women worldwide who use who um, the hormone contraceptive pill. So I know that there's two different ones. There is the combined pill and the progesterone-only pill. Can you explain a little bit about these? Because I think some people are quite confused when they try to choose their oral contraceptive pill about which is the best one they should be going for or really what is the difference between these two pills. And then I'd love if we could talk about the links uh, with breast cancer, which I think, and fertility, which I think is a lot of women's concerns. Yeah. So, yeah, you're exactly right. There's two types of the pill. Um, the one that has most of the, you know, potential side effects, but also benefits is the one called the combined oral contraceptive pill. And that works by giving our body a dose of estrogen. You know, we have two main female hormones. There's estrogen and progestin. Um, and that works by giving a dose of both of them every day. And it goes to part of our brain called, you know, the hypothalamus and the pituitary. And essentially it turns off the messages to our ovaries to release an egg. So taking the combined oral contraceptive pill means that we're not ovulating. Um, the the um, mini pill or, you know, the progesterone-only pill 
is just um, the other hormone, progestin, and that um, changes things like the cervical the mucus, the kind of cervical mucus, um, also changes, you know, parts of the pH, and essentially it makes um, sperm, they can't travel up to the egg. Some women um, will stop ovulating, but the majority of women on the mini pill will continue to ovulate, and it's just more, you know, that environment of, you know, the kind of vaginal canal and cervix is changed to make, you know, essentially impenetrable to those mm-hmm. sperm. Um, and, yeah, so they're the two main types. Um, and, yeah, the combined oral contraceptive pill has, you know, a lot of, you know, because it's got estrogen, that is associated with, you know, a very small increased risk of breast cancer. Um, my the, They've done quite a lot of studies on this, and it's, you know, about if we had 8,000 women on the pill, it would increase, you'd have one extra person getting breast cancer. So that's quite small. Mm. Um, often, you know, a statistic of 20% risk is, you know, shown, which can make people be really scared, like, oh, God, I've got a 20% chance of getting breast cancer. But it's important to realise that's just, you know, 20% from your baseline risk. So, you know, if your risk as, you know, young women, um, young women, our risk of breast cancer is very small. You know, your risk would be less than 100 and you'd be making it. Let's say it was 1%, you'd make 1.2%. So to lastly finish off, can you let all my followers know where they can find you on Instagram or social media um, to follow you? You can find me on my Instagram. That's where I do most, I guess, of my posting and stories, um, which is Dr. Izzy K. Smith. Amazingly, there was another Dr. Izzy Smith out there, so I had to put my middle name in, K. I am also on Twitter, but I'm not very active on there, but I'm also, you know, Dr. Izzy Smith. Um, and I have a website where I share some of my articles that, you know, um, are shared by other media organizations. Fantastic. Which you can find from my Instagram. Yeah. Fantastic. Izzy, thank you so much for being on my podcast, Live Well, Be Well. No, thank you so much, Sarah. This was it was really great. And, you know, I think for some of the people listening they may feel like, oh, they didn't give me a clear answer on, you know, was dairy good or is the pill safe or not? And I think, you know, because we're both so passionate about being evidence-based and, you know, giving our absolute best information that's as accurate, as concise as possible, you know, to all the people listening, you know, we have to, you know, be realistic and show, you know, some of the science isn't 100% clear and things can't be, you know, in the world we live in, things aren't good or bad. It's, you know, very relevant to the individual and there's lots of nuance and shades of grey. So I guess I just wanted to say, if, you know, people, you know, really wanted a clear answer. I'm sorry that we couldn't give you that, but, you know, that clear answer wouldn't be true. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you okay. more. Thank you, Izzy. All the best. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Thank you for listening to Live Well, Be Well. Please do share with your friends and help spread awareness of this podcast. I hope these conversations inspire you to create a positive change in your life. And if you do like the podcast, please do leave a review. Until next time, live well and be well. Thank you. 
Before you go, I have something new to tell you about. There's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest I speak to. These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.